You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Let's look to the book of James, the book of James. So James chapter 3 verse 13 through 18. We've been working through this book verse by verse as a congregation, as a church family. And the book of James, I I pray that it's been an edifying study for you in a lot of ways because it's been challenging, it's been convicting, uh, but encouraging and needed and wonderful all at the same time. And that's often the way God's word works. It shows us sin in our hearts and in our lives And then the Spirit reminds us of the comfort we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and and uses the Word to transform our lives and to help us be more faithful uh, to walk in light of the salvation God has given us in Jesus. And so James has been doing that for me. I hope he's been doing that for you as we study this book. And let's turn now to look at the the final section here, chapter 3, James 3, verse 13 through 18. James 3, verse 13 through 18. 18. Let me read the word for us. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help this morning. Father, as we come to this text, Father, we confess that in so many ways we possess wisdom that isn't spiritual, but but earthly and worldly and carnal and demonic in the way we view the world, and the way we see ourselves, the way we see the order of your world. And Father, we pray that in a text like this one, Lord, that you would teach us to be truly wise. And Father, that we would understand what, what true wisdom is, what it looks like in action. And Father, as we look to the example of the wisdom of Christ, Lord, may we be stirred to become wise as he is wise as your spirit works in our hearts and grows us and matures us and sanctifies us. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to distinguish this morning between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. And, Father, that you might help us grow in spiritual wisdom this morning as your people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be talking about wisdom this morning. And really, in a lot of ways, this passage before us contrast worldly wisdom from spiritual wisdom. So worldly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. And you know, that word wisdom is thrown around a lot. It's a word we use, but it's one of those words where I I think most people really just don't know what they mean by that term or by that word. 
What, what does it mean to be wise or to possess wisdom? And so when we say a word like wisdom, there's, there can be a lot of kind of flickering images in our minds of, of people who kind of exemplify wisdom or a wise person or a sage or something like that. So different cultures kind of have different, their own expectations of someone who is wise or possesses wisdom. So if you live in a, a tribal community in Africa, then perhaps the, the image of wisdom that would come to your mind is some sort of village witch doctor, right? Someone who knows uh, about the spiritual world and is able to manipulate it in some way, right? So this image of a, a witch doctor. But if you're in an Eastern context, maybe some of the, the Eastern religions in, in China and India and in places like that, um, perhaps the image of a wise person is a, a Buddhist monk, right? Who sits uh, crisscross, applesauce, right? Humming and chanting and, and meditating with, of course, a bald head, because, you know, we know baldness means you're wise. And so, uh, so you know, that's, that, that's kind of the image that comes into your mind, right, of a Buddhist monk in some capacity. If you're a Japanese person, maybe the, the image of wisdom that comes into your mind is some sort of kind of ancient well, old-aged person, a, a patriarchal-type figure who's lived for decades and decades and has kind of soaked in this, this life experience that has made him or her wise. And so in America, what's kind of our definition of wisdom? Well, I think for us, kind of the popular conception of someone who's wise is the quote-unquote expert, right? Whoever the expert is, the person who's received formal training, credentials, PhDs, degrees, accreditation, right? Everyone has their, their kind of own expertise, and to be an expert means that you are wise. And so we'll put you on TV and see what you have to say, and we'll pay careful attention to you because you've got some, some letters at the end of your name, right? And so the, the, creden the, the wise, the expert person in our culture who speaks with authority, whether they're a scientist or a psychologist or whatever, right? That person's authoritative. They're the wise person in our society. But, you know, everyone, including yourselves, you've kind of got your own image in your mind of what a wise person is like, what a wise person is. So for some of you, that might be a person like your grandfather, might be someone like Oprah, might be someone like Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid, right? Someone who's exuding wisdom, but, you know, as we think about what it means to be wise, no offense, it doesn't really matter what you think, right? It doesn't really matter what our cultural perceptions of wisdom may be. What matters is what does the Bible say wisdom is, right? Let's let the scriptures define wisdom and what it means to be wise, particularly as we consider our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so one of the questions as Christians we have to ask ourselves is how is heavenly wisdom different from the counterparts that we've created in our culture? And these are important questions, difficult questions, the sort of questions that James is helping us try to answer as we look at the end of James chapter 3 here. So James is a letter that is filled with great wisdom, almost rivaling the book of Proverbs in terms of its practical insights into living a godly life. In fact, some have called James the Proverbs of the New Testament. So from the opening of the letter, we know that this theme of wisdom has been a theme in this letter that, that James has talked about quite a bit, right? In James one, chapter 1, verse 5, what does he say? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
And so much of the letter has really been James emphasizing that godly wisdom is a working wisdom, right? It's a doing wisdom. It's got actions accompanied with it. And so the wise man hears and obeys God's word. A wise man displays his faith in action, in works. A wise man, as we saw last week, controls his tongue and is able to tame his tongue. So in James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, James, James contrasts two types of wisdom. He contrasts an, an earthly, carnal type of wisdom and a spiritual or heavenly sort of wisdom. And he compares these two. He takes the world's understanding of wisdom and he takes what true wisdom is and he, and he shows us the differences between the two. And as he does, he's teaching us about the very essence of wisdom itself. And here's the thing that James is teaching us. Wisdom is defined by meekness. Wisdom is defined by meekness. So here's the sermon summary, right? We must reject worldly wisdom and receive the meek wisdom from above. We want to reject worldly wisdom, all its counterparts, all its expressions, and we want to identify it first and foremost so that we can reject it, right? We want to reject worldly wisdoms, its concepts, its categories as not real wisdom, but actually foolishness. And then we want to receive spiritual wisdom, which as James described is this weak, meek wisdom from above, this humble type of wisdom. And so as we look at that uh, this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to kind of split our discussion into each of those sections. So let's first consider this morning how we must reject the proud ambition of worldly wisdom. How we must reject the proud ambition of worldly wisdom. And so if you look at verse 13 of our passage, we see that James begins this kind of section, this paragraph here with an invitation in verse 13. And he invites, he gives an invitation. He invites those who, who think they are wise, stand up, right? You think you have wisdom, James says, I'm talking to you. Stand up, identify yourself, right? Stand and let, let me know who you are, who is wise and understanding among you. That's what James is asking. So he gives this kind of blanket call, and James is about to put those who think themselves wise under the scrutiny of his own evaluation. James is going to investigate and see, yes, you may say you have wisdom. Well, let's see if you really do. Let's test it. And here is an immediate warning right as the passage begins, right? That those who think they are wise, who are boastful enough to stand up and announce their wisdom, are the type of people who would be demolished by James' critique of wisdom, of worldly wisdom, right? I mean, the people would stand up and say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm wise. Those are the sort of people James is getting ready to say, uh, sit down, no, you're not, right? He's going to critique this worldly wisdom. Because this is the way our minds work. This is the way sin works, our, our prideful hearts, is that we tend to think of ourselves as much wiser than we really are. And as this passage suggests, those who think they have heavenly wisdom might actually have worldly wisdom. And this idea of spiritual deception has been a key theme in James as well as we study. And so just because you think you have heavenly wisdom, you might... But James says you might be, be wrong. You might actually have this sort of carnal or earthly wisdom. 
So James emphasizes in verse 13, he shows us, he teaches us what the, the essential characteristic of wisdom is. And that characteristic is meekness. Meekness. And that meekness displays itself in our lives by, by good conduct. And so one of the important questions we have to ask is what, what in the world does meekness mean? What is that word talking about? Well, the Greek word here refers to gentleness of attitude and behavior. Gentleness of attitude and behavior, mainly as you're interacting with other people. You can also kind of translate this word, uh, word as mildness or humility. These could be good synonyms used here in this situation. And so it's the same word here for meekness that Paul uses as he lists the fruit of the Spirit when he lists the fruit of gentleness. It's the same word, gentleness, meekness, this humility, right? This is supposed to be a, a factor of a, a fruit of those who are living the Christian life. And as we see, as James's argument progresses and as it develops on this paragraph here, we see that meekness is really what separates earthly wisdom from heavenly wisdom, right? Heavenly wisdom has meekness associated with it. Worldly wisdom does not. So we have a Savior who is from heaven, right, who comes from above, the logos and wisdom of God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And as you look at the life of Jesus, doesn't Jesus's life exemplify this? What true wisdom is? What distinguishes the wisdom of Christ from the wisdom of the world? Is it not his meekness? Is humility. And if we want to understand the meekness in which James is talking about here, we must grapple carefully with the life of Jesus himself. So Jesus entered into our world as a lowly babe. And Christ's wisdom was not in his achievements, wasn't in his economic status, wasn't in his family heritage, that's for sure. He was the son of a carpenter, right? His wisdom wasn't pronounced. He didn't announce it. He didn't announce his wisdom through shameful self-promotion, but rather he did it through humble service to others. He came teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God as the, the lowly, the humble, the meek Messiah. And in his wisdom, in the wisdom of Christ, Jesus completely subverts the expectations of his age because who were the wise, at least in the world's estimation, during Jesus's ministry? Well, it was those with the credentials. It was one with the, the family background of heritage and of status, right? It was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who have been well-trained. These were the religious experts. These were thought by all to be the wise of the age. So the Pharisees' wisdom meant that you had status, you had privilege, you had authority, you had control, you were proud, and you self-promoted. And as you study Jesus's ministry, and as you look at his teaching and his words, his harshest criticism, his harshest rebuke in his ministry were always to those who thought themselves wise, but were actually fools. Those were always his harshest words. And so the Pharisees provide a word of caution for us, don't they? Particularly those of us who are ingrained in church culture and Christianity, and we've grown up in it, right? The dangers of worldly wisdom can creep into any heart, and it often creeps into the hearts of those who are most familiar with the Word of God. That's the danger, right? That just because you have the Bible and you know the Bible doesn't necessarily mean you have spiritual wisdom. And so there's this caution that we have to be mindful of 
is that worldly wisdom and these worldly, worldly categories of wisdom can begin to infiltrate our thinking, often without us even realizing it. Because true wisdom is a humility that is birthed out of the meekness, the meekness in which we've received the word of God. You remember back in James chapter 1, verse 21. If not, flip over there. It's just a page, right? Look at James 1, verse 21. And it is there that James uses that same word, meekness. Look at what he says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, James uses the same word, meekness, and he tells us that we've received the implanted word of God with meekness. And so this same humility displayed in our conversion when we come to know Jesus is the meekness that ought to continue throughout our lives as we grow in spiritual wisdom. You see, we often kind of misguidedly think that, that the trajectory of the Christian life means that we start off as meek, and then as we get more mature, we grow self-confident, right? Or we think that, you know, we, we have this sense of we start lowly, and we, we realize how humble we are, how meek we are before God. And then before long, as we grow mature, we start becoming self-exalting in the way we view ourselves. That's not the way the Christian life works. But rather, James is trying to show us that true wisdom comes from realizing how lowly you are before a holy and righteous God. And so a conscious awareness of your own sinfulness is needed. It's a needed step. It's a needed instrument of God's grace is for God to help you realize that. And it's necessary if you hope to be truly wise, to have spiritual wisdom. So James is trying to show us that a proud wise man is an oxymoron. Doesn't make any sense. You can't be wise and proud in James's categories. A self-reliant philosopher, it's a contradiction. So from verse 13 here of chapter 3 in James, James is showing us the defining characteristic of true wisdom, which he's going to elaborate on later on in the passage. But this defining characteristic is one of meekness. And as he introduces that in verse 13, he takes verse 14 and begins to show us the opposite of that. <laughs> what does what what worldly wisdom actually look like? And we see in verse 14 the heart of worldly wisdom the heart of worldly wisdom. So if spiritual wisdom has meekness as its defining characteristic, what are, what are the hearts of those who have this worldly wisdom? And James tells us in verse 14 that their hearts are filled with bitter jealousy and secondly, selfish ambition. That's the heart of those who are worldly wise. And if those motives are lurking beneath your heart, James is trying to help us see and, and observe that you might think yourself being spiritually wise, but actually you are no different than the world in your understanding of wisdom. Let's think about these, these two attributes, these two motivations, bitter jealousy. Let's take that first one. Jealousy is a big problem for the wise of the world, isn't it? That our experts today make their keep by tearing down others and exalting themselves. <laughs> That's the way kind of experts work is, all right, I'm an expert, you're an expert, let me show you how you're wrong so I can be the better expert, right? It's kind of the way it works. And as one who's been uh, far too long in the world of academic life, I mean, that's the way it works, right? One scholar says this, another scholar says you're wrong, and let me show you why. And there's this kind of constant one-upmanship 
that can happen amongst the experts, among the wise of this age that is antithetical to the gospel itself. And so jealousy can be a big problem in our hearts and in our lives and can be a sign that we possess worldly wisdom. So our experts today want to earn their keep by tearing down other people. We can do the same thing. Anyone else's ideas, anyone else's input is by default seen as competition. Worldly wisdom is inherently suspicious and envious of others who may know more than them or have more wisdom than them, right? And this sort of bitter jealousy turns everyone into your enemy. The danger of this sort of bitter jealousy is that it actually walls you off from the wisdom of others, particularly the wisdom of other brothers and sisters in Christ. That if you look upon the ideas of other Christian brothers and sisters with a jealous eye, then you're not going to hear what they have to say, and you'll just be stuck in the echo chamber of your own self-absorbed imprisonment. Bitter jealousy towards other will, will make it make you impossible to, to learn anything because you won't be teachable. You won't be able to learn from others. Your bitter jealousy will see other people as competition for you to devour and to exert yourself over rather than gifts from God whom you can learn from and that you humbly receive their wisdom. And this attitude can seep into your heart. It seeps into my heart so often, right? And often the things we think to ourselves, the way we speak to ourselves, you know, have you ever thought, you know, I can't, can't learn anything from him. He doesn't have the level of experience that I have. Or, you know, I, I can't learn anything from her. Right? She's too old. She's too out of touch with the world, right? She doesn't know what's going on. Or, you know, what is he? Who does he think he is telling me how to teach the Bible, right? Doesn't he know I, I went to seminary, right? I'm trying to get more degrees than a thermometer, right? So, I, I mean, this is, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I can't be corrected. Or, or, or who is she to try to tell me to, to raise my children? She can't even keep her own kids in line. You know, I'm fearful of how often I've thought things like that. And that's by your laughter. I'm sure you've thought things like that. And have you ever discredited the input of others simply based off of who's giving that input? Have you ever done that? And if, and if this is kind of our gut response to people who try to, share wisdom with us and share counsel with us, then it might mean we actually have a bitter and jealous heart that's more characteristic of worldly wisdom than spiritual wisdom. Now, this doesn't mean that what everyone tells us is worthy of careful scrutiny and reflection, right? Not everything everybody says to us is actually wisdom. But our gut response when people counsel us or advise us or correct us shouldn't be envy and pride or self-justification, but rather our innate response should be humility and openness. Rather than listening, listing all the things that I can't learn from this person, you should be thinking of all the things that you can learn from that person. Be open, be humble enough to learn from the wisdom and insight of others. And if a consistent attitude of bitter jealousy lurks beneath your heart, then perhaps your wisdom is more of the world than that of heaven. If we truly understand, right, the depths of our sin in our hearts, the effects of sin in our hearts, then we are aware that, that there are areas in your life and in my life where I am drastically falling short. There are some areas in my life where I'm just blind to my own shortcomings and sin. 
if I believe that about my heart. And so the reality of sin and the reality of the transformative power of God's grace should lead us to, to repent of this idea of bitter envy towards the wisdom of others. But rather, it should make us teachable, humble, eager to receive the instruction, counsel, and wisdom of God from other people as a gift because my soul desperately needs that. Your soul desperately needs that. So James warns us against this kind of bitter jealousy that defines much of worldly wisdom, but he also warns similarly about this idea of selfish ambition as one of the key components of a heart who has worldly wisdom. James warns about selfish ambition, and this is also connected to bitter jealousy. That selfish ambition prioritizes me, myself, and I above everything else, right? It's all about me. So when our wisdom is defined by selfish ambition, then we constantly look for ways to exalt ourselves or insert ourselves to make ourselves look good and and wise in front of others. Through our words and through our actions, worldly wisdom is constantly looking to scratch the itch of its own ego. And our selfish ambition will put us first, not others first, us first, and we'll be quick to add our own insights into the discussion. We'll be quick to add our own thoughts, but we'll be slow to listen to the insights of others. So we easily can focus on the the exertion of our own ideas, our own wills, our own wisdom over the ideas of others. And we can begin to think that no one else has any other good ideas. We begin to think that everyone else is incapable. Only I can, can solve this problem. Only I can deal with this situation. Is that not the heart of selfish ambition? The attitude like this exposes a heart filled with worldly wisdom rather than spiritual wisdom. And both bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, these are the opposite of the humility and meekness that ought to define spiritual or heavenly wisdom. And so as we think about the heart of worldly wisdom defined by jealousy and selfish ambition, in verse 15, we see that James gives us the source of this wisdom, where, of this worldly wisdom. Where is it coming from? If it, this is in our hearts. Where, where does it originate from? And so James shows us that wisdom that is driven by jealousy and selfish ambition, even if it's cloaked in religious or Christian language, it is explicitly not Christian. It's not Christian at all. James makes it clear that this wisdom that we've talked about, motivated by selfish ambition and jealousy, that this is wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and James says even demonic. Demonic. Those are not soft terms there, are they? Wisdom defined by envy and pride is the wisdom of devils, not of Christ. And as James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's not it. There is no place for earthbound or demonic wisdom in Christ's church. And the foolishness of the gospel actually subverts the wisdom of the world. True wisdom runs against the grain of the popular conceptions of the word of wisdom. And Paul talks about this in Corinth, doesn't he? Turn over there real quick to 1 Corinthians 1. 18 through 25. Keep, keep your place in James, but look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. And, and Paul talks about how the gospel subverts the wisdom of the world. 
So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, let me read it for us. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. You see, the cross is utter foolishness in the eyes of the world, isn't it? Because it is through the crucifixion of Christ that we see Jesus' ultimate display, ultimate action of meekness, as the Son of God humbles himself, enfleshes himself, and subjects himself to the cross, where his blood will be poured out, where the nails will be pierced through his hands, when the crown of thorns will be shoved upon his head, that ultimate display of degradation and humiliation, that, Paul says, that's the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God. The wisest person who ever lived who is Jesus, served others, not himself. You see, the meekness of Christ, it extends throughout his entire ministry, but most vividly upon the cross itself. The meekness of Christ is displayed. And as Jesus endures the judgment of the cross, God is destroying the worldly wisdom of power and envy through the foolishness of the gospel. As James says in verse 16, he says, this earthly wisdom driven by jealousy and selfish ambition will create disorder and opportunity for every vile practice. And as we look at the world that operates under this paradigm of worldly wisdom defined by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, haven't we seen that come to pass? Just look around you. This sort of worldly wisdom creates conflict, opposition, war, bloodshed, sin, and more sin. You see, a heart driven by these motives of worldly wisdom will unleash disorder and harm to those around them. So we must be on our guard, right? We have to identify these devilish attitudes about wisdom that lurk in the mainstream of our culture that can easily begin to creep into your heart. You see, as we think about what it means to be wise, As a Christian, Christian wisdom doesn't emerge from your life experiences, although it can. Christian wisdom doesn't emerge from your knowledge, though it could. Christian wisdom doesn't come from academic training, though it could help. And Christian wisdom doesn't come from your position or status in the church or in society. So if if what you're measuring rod for wisdom in the church is, is one of those things, then you are severely misguided. And you're actually operating with the wisdom of demons, not the wisdom of Christ. The truly wise among God's people are the meek, are the lowly, 
And here's what this means, right? This is, this is the way the gospel subverts worldly values and expectations. This means that the people that often possess the most spiritual wisdom are the people we tend to most overlook. Pay attention to your own heart and reject this proud ambition of worldly wisdom that can lurk in your heart and in my heart. Let's reject this sort of worldly, selfish ambition, wisdom that defines the world. And instead, let's receive the meekness of Christ. And that leads to the second point this morning. Receive the meek peaceableness of spiritual wisdom. So here, James is going to take what he introduced in verse 13 about how wisdom is defined by, by meekness. And he's going to elaborate on that as he contrasts worldly wisdom from spiritual wisdom. So James gives a list of characteristics about the spiritual wisdom that comes from above. And it's worth taking each of these phrases here into consideration. And as we work through each of these characteristics, let's give careful, careful reflection on whether these characteristics are, are exhibited in your own Christian life. And as James gives us this list of wisdom, of, of these characteristics of wisdom from above, James does so in a very memorable way. So in the original language, as James is writing here in verse 17, he's using alliteration, he's using metrical rhyming. In other words, James wants his readers to remember what he's about to say, right? He wants them to remember it, like a little earworm that gets stuck in your head. And so if James wants his readers to meditate and to memorize upon his words here in verse 17, then perhaps we should do the same as well. And so let's look at these characteristics of, of spiritual wisdom that James talks about here in verse 17. And one of the first is he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Pure, that's one of the first characteristics here. The idea of purity here implies moral purity. Or as James encourages in the, le uh, in the letter later on, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so as Christians, we are to be those who are purified from sin, that we are, yes, born sinners, that we are in rebellion against God, but God by his grace has, has saved us in Jesus. And through Jesus, we are purified from our sins. And God sets us upon the path of his righteousness to live the Christian life of holiness and good works. However, purity here also expresses the idea that, that James will pick up in the letter, and that's, of course, purity of motives. James chapter 4, verse 8, you can skip down there, but James is going to talk about this, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So this idea of purity here coming out later in James chapter 4. So there is this moral purity, but also a purity of motive as we seek the Lord. So we've purged these motives of jealousy and selfish ambition from our lives, right? That, that's what defines worldly wisdom, so that now we can pursue the Lord with purity, with wholehearted affection and love for Christ. So as you think about this characteristic of purity, does this idea of a purity of heart define your intensity when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you seeking him with clean hands and a pure heart? If so, that's a characteristic of heavenly spiritual wisdom. So he talks about purity, and then a second characteristic he lists here is, is peaceable. Peaceable. That the spiritually wise will seek to keep peace and maintain peace. 
Now, this sort of humility doesn't imply cowardice in the face of confrontation or a fear of confrontation, but it does exhibit that the peace of Christ in the way we discuss, in the way we dialogue, we do, the way we debate. You see, worldly wisdom is pugnacious, right? It loves a fight. It loves a debate. It loves to get on Facebook and start railing in the comment section about how dumb somebody is, right? That's, that's, that's the way worldly wisdom works. It looks for conflict. It's always looking for a fight. It's looking for a battle to win. However, those who, who have received the peace of God through Jesus Christ, we ought to exhibit a peaceableness when it comes to our relationship with others. So combativeness is not a characteristic of spiritual wisdom. Rather, it's more of a characteristic of worldly wisdom. Someone may have great gifts, but if they have the, the habit of being a troublemaker, stirring up stuff, getting people riled up, then it only reveals how little wisdom they possess. Because one of the characteristics that James says here is that peaceableness is one of the characteristics of heavenly spiritual wisdom. So purity, peaceableness, the third one he gives is, is gentle, gentleness. This is another characteristic of wisdom from above. You see, gentleness is quick to see the best in other brothers and sisters, to speak with kindness in a way that builds up other people. You see, when conflict breaks out and ensues, a gentle spirit will speak with tenderness and earnestness for the cause of another brother or sister. Gentleness tries to show empathy towards others when we've sinned against them, and it quickly forgives and then shows patience to the weakness of others. In other words, it's gentle, right? It, it shows tenderness and sympathy and compassion towards other people, even when they're in sin, right? It speaks truth. It doesn't avoid it, but it does speak with gentleness and with kindness and with care for other people. Another characteristic we see is not just gentleness, but, but James says that they're open to reason. Opinions are legion, right? Everybody's got an opinion, right? You just go on, on the internet, someone's going to have a very passionate opinion about something, right? You just guarantee it. So everybody has an opinion. And oftentimes, as people hold their opinion, they hold it as unquestioned fact, right? Not open to any sort of insight, not open to any sort of discussion. It's my way or the highway. This is my opinion. This is it. And so few people display the, the sort of wisdom that James describes here, where we should be open to reason that you should be persuadable, particularly when it comes to the scriptures, right? We were talking about this this morning in our course seminar as we talked about the dangers of assumption as we read the Bible. And we should always have this, this heart attitude where we're open to being corrected by God's word. Yeah, the second we've got our mind made up and we don't allow God's word to challenge or to adjust what we believe about any matter, that's when worldly wisdom creeps into our hearts. And so as Christians, we have to be open to seeing what the Word of God says, going to the Scriptures, and even though we might have an opinion on a matter, we might need to adjust our opinion in light of what God's Word says because it's the authority. And so as Christians, we need to be open to reason, open to the insights of others. We need to be teachable in this way. So has anyone ever changed your mind with the Scriptures? Anyone ever said, you know, I think you might be wrong about that. Let's look at God's Word. And as they took you through the Scriptures, you came to see, you know what? I was wrong about that, right? I need to adjust my convictions here because God's word says something 
different. Has that ever happened to you? Has ever anyone ever presented a biblical argument to you and then you changed your mind as a result of hearing their explanation? If not, that's never happened to you, you might not be open to reason, right? You might not really be listening to other people as they try to help you understand God's word. And so the opposite of this close... Uh, opposite of this uh, idea of open-mindedness is, is closed-mindedness, right? It's, it's not being open to what the scriptures say. And so in our day and age, tribalism reigns, right? Everybody's got their own tribes, their own groups, their own little huddles of people who think like them and talk like them and speak like them, and they never let any other idea or challenge or enter into those circles. And so we have this sense of kind of a, a never-ending feedback loop where we're just constantly saying and hearing exactly what we've always believed. And so as Christians, we have to be open to biblical arguments and sound reason. And as we are persuaded by biblical arguments and sound reason, we adjust our position accordingly. We have to be open to reason. True wisdom means that you know that you aren't always right right? True wisdom means that you know you're not always right and that it's essential for your heart to be open to learn from others, to be open to sound reason, to be open to the clear arguments of scripture as your brothers and sisters bring them into your life so that you might learn and apply God's word with greater faithfulness. So wisdom, this sort of meek wisdom that James is describing is open to the insights and correction of others as long as it's in light of God's word and clear reason. Another characteristic James talks about is that heavenly wisdom, this wisdom from above, is full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. You know, James is always practical, right? He always gets to the nitty-gritty of the Christian life. And James connects wisdom to acts of mercy, doing good works, That as those who have received mercy from God, we in turn ought to show mercy to others. With this, James rejects the ivory tower sage, right? You know, we got that popular image of someone who, you know, hides behind a, a computer monitor and keyboard and just unleashes harsh judgments upon others, right? And just critiques everything and finds fault in everything and, and, and is always trying to exert their opinion on every matter. And they're sitting behind their keyboard doing this, right? Posting on the internet, but there's never any sort of sense of action taking place, right? They're not on the front lines actually trying to do something, but rather just standing back and, and kind of critiquing. You see, wisdom means taking action, James says means being full of mercy and good fruits. means doing acts of mercy. The spiritually wise don't just sit in their ivory tower and lambast criticisms towards everybody else, but the spiritual, spiritually wise, they're on the front lines, right? They're, they're doers of the ministry. They're doers of good works. They're showing mercy. They're involved in their local church. They're involved in discipling people. They're involved in the work of evangelism, right? They're not just standing back on the sidelines showing criticism to everyone else. They're involved. As any sports fan could tell you, there's a, there's a, a danger of being an armchair coach, right? <laughs> of, hey, you're sitting on your, your couch, on your lazy boy, and it's easy to criticize a coach's call when, or a player's decision in the game while you're sitting there on your lazy boy with a bag of chips in your hand, right? In the same way, I think there are many who critique and complain and pontificate about Christianity and about the church who aren't engaged in any capacity in terms of the weekly rhythms of the church's life. They're not discipling anyone. 
They're not sharing the gospel with anyone. They're not acting in accordance to mercy and fruitfulness. For James, being wise means that you are being spiritually working. You're full of mercy. You're full of good fruits. This is an essential character. It's characteristic of James for, for this heavenly spiritual type of wisdom. And so next, James talks about this idea of being impartial and sincere as he gives us this characteristic of heavenly wisdom. And so in wisdom, we ought to show no partiality in terms of our judgments, that we don't wobble back and forth debating the sides. We don't, we don't wobble back and forth our, our convictions depending on who we're talking to. So I'm talking with this person over here. I'm going to act like I agree with them. And then I'm going to come over here and talk to this person, act like I agree with them. Heavenly wisdom does not play sides, but rather it operates out of a consistent biblical principle. Christian wisdom displays sincerity of conviction and consistently operates out of a personal conscience a conscience that ought to, be, ought to be bound by the word of God. So we have to understand that, that the offensiveness and foolishness of the gospel will sometimes not earn us the applause from the watching world. Right? When you operate out of biblical conviction, it's not always going to be the popular position. And so the temptation has come and will come to begin to conceal truths about what the gospel teaches, what the scriptures say, and to try to hide them away so that the world might find us more appealing. They might like us better. They might, might throw us a, a, a good job every now and then. And so the temptation will come to conceal that, to hide that, because we don't want to be found in contradiction with the world. However, spiritually, spiritual wisdom shows no partiality, and it operates sincerely, out of conviction, no matter what other people might think about the matter, because their conscience is bound by the word of God. So James gives us this wonderful description in verse 17 of, of what this heavenly wisdom is like. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then in verse 18, we see James describe this harvest of spiritual wisdom, a harvest of that harvest language of, of reaping what is sown, right? That's a biblical concept. These characteristics define the wisdom from above, and James shows us the effects of this wisdom in the lives of others. That, that while worldly wisdom, James says, leaves disorder and vile deeds in its wake, heavenly wisdom ushers in a harvest of righteousness marked by peace. So the spiritually wise will create an environment of peace that amplifies the spiritual growth of others. It'll produce a harvest of righteousness. You know, spiritual growth in our lives will stagnate when we're in the midst of conflict and opposition and fighting and arguing. That when envy and selfish ambition dominates a church's culture, the spiritual harvest of righteousness will be minimal, if at all. So a church that is filled, though, with, with those who are meek, those who have true spiritual wisdom from above, there will be an environment of peace and of hunger for the scriptures. And as we sow peace and meekness in our community of the church, we will sow peace as those who have been made peaceful by Christ, and there will be a ripe and abundant spiritual harvest. We will all grow together in maturity and greater spiritual wisdom as we sow peace with one another. So we must remember that we have a Savior 
Jesus, who exemplifies true wisdom. And Christ Jesus himself shows us the model of this humility. He shows us through his meekness how he has brought everlasting peace from, for his saints. Isn't that what Jesus has done? He had the meekness of wisdom, and that meekness of his wisdom led him to serve us, to die for us, and that by his death, we can now have peace with God. That anyone who turns from their sins and trusts in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and upon his work upon the cross, the wonderful promises of the gospel is if you do that, if you turn from your sin, trust in Christ, you will have peace from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And praise be to God that the meek wisdom of Christ has brought us peace that transcends all understanding. You see, there is a difference between the appearance of wisdom and the possession of heavenly wisdom. There may be some who seem wise, at least by earthly standards. They might be knowledgeable, they might be gifted, they might be skilled, they might be well-trained, but James has showed us from the text this morning that the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom is that characteristic of meekness. Worldly wisdom, right, is motivated by selfish ambition. It's motivated by a bitter jealousy. But divine wisdom relishes in humility. It loves it. And as those who serve a meek Savior, who have received the word of God with humility, we then find joy in humility, knowing that it is through meekness that we gain greater insight into God's heart, into God's mind, and that we're able to truly grow in this wisdom that comes from above. So this morning, if you long to be wise, and I pray that we all do, then we must first look to Christ. Only those who trust in Jesus and who know Jesus, only they can possess this sort of heavenly wisdom that we're talking about. And if you are in Christ this morning, if you're in Christ, then do as James says at the very beginning of his letter. Right? Remember, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that in so many ways, Lord, we operate out of the principle of worldly wisdom that is motivated by selfish ambition and pride and envy. And Father, we know that this is the wisdom of demons. This isn't the wisdom of Jesus. And so Father, we pray that, that we would repent and reject any element of worldly wisdom that lurks beneath our heart. And Lord, we pray that we would confess that sin to you and turn from that sin. And Father, that we would follow the pattern of Christ, who is the wisdom of God. And Lord, as we look at Jesus, he so exemplifies exactly what James has been teaching us this morning, that Jesus was meek. He was lowly. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he did that for us upon the cross. And Lord, as those who have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus, who have meekly received the word of the gospel and received it in faith, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be meek in our wisdom. Lord, that these characteristics that James describes of this heavenly wisdom would define our lives. And Lord, that as we all pursue this spiritual wisdom together as a church, Lord, that there would be an environment of peaceableness that produces an abundant spiritual harvest in our lives as we grow together in Jesus. But Father, we know that we cannot possess spiritual wisdom without first looking to Christ in salvation. And so Father, I do pray, Lord, for anyone in 
in this room this morning who might not know Jesus or who might be lost in their sin, who might be consistently operating under that principle of worldly wisdom, Father, I pray, Lord, that they would come to see the foolishness of the gospel as the wisdom of God, that they would see the cross of Christ as something altogether beautiful and lovely, and Lord, that they would turn from their sins, that they would trust in Christ, and Lord, that by your great mercy, not only would you save their soul, but Lord, that you would cause them to be at peace with you as you pay for their sin, And Lord, lead them on the path of growing in greater wisdom and possessing this true wisdom from heaven. So Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in spiritual wisdom this morning as we reject the wisdom of this age. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.